morning, church. How y'all doing this morning? Hi, Bradley. I see you in the back. You're going crazy. Well, we are so glad you guys decided to join us today. Would you all stand up, greet some people around you, and then we're going to begin to worship together.
morning, church. How are we doing today? Am I on? Can you? Yeah, read. There we go. Hey, yeah. Now, I have no biblical proof uh, to back up what I'm about to say, but I think Jesus was more of a Thanksgiving person than a Christmas person. Because if you look through scripture, Jesus was all about gathering around the table and having some food. And if they had football back then, I think he would have been a football fan as well. And so Thanksgiving just makes sense to be his favorite holiday. What I loved about Jesus when it came to getting around the table and having some food, it didn't matter who you were, you were invited. I love the Last Supper because it's 12 individuals there with Jesus. Think about that for a second. 12. Those who know scripture, we know one of those individuals was the person who's going to betray Jesus. Someone who has spent time and seen the miracles and heard the words and knows the person as the one true living God. But man, he's just not exactly who he wanted him to be. And so he's going to trade him in for a pocket full of change. And yet Jesus still invites him, provides, even washes Judas's feet. If you notice the, the infamous picture of the Last Supper, it has all of them there and everything's in order. Um, they've actually done research about the type of paint that was used and the backdrop within the painting itself. It's like three paintings in one. But one thing seems to be out of order and it is a jar of salt that is accidentally, purposely maybe, knocked over on the table. Everything else is perfectly situated and painted and, and everything lines up like Jesus is the focus point. You can draw a line through the middle, up and down, and it all lines up dead center on Jesus. Except this one jar of salt is knocked over. And it's a painting. The painter knew exactly what he was doing. And this is to rep- represent we are to be the salt of this world And salt doesn't add flavor if it's just contained in the container. But here's the thing. You can add salt to to anything, and it's going to leave a remarkable aftertaste. Take that back to Judas. As we go into this holiday season, and if I'm honest, like I love Thanksgiving, but I hate Christmas. And I know it represents the birth of Jesus Christ, but everything changes all of a sudden. We have to be nice to people we're not supposed to be nice to, or we don't want to be nice to. And we've got to get everybody gifts, and we've got to change how our houses look and how we act and the music. Ugh. But Thanksgiving, can that be where the change is? Can we be the salt? We want our family to be around us, but what about those who are going to stab us in the back? Those that are going to ridicule us, turn us in, trade on us. Can we offer them a seat at the table? Because that seat was offered to us as well. I've stabbed Jesus in the back so many times. I've traded him in for other things. So many times. And time and time again, he's called me to be the salt, and he's invited me to his table. 
Will you invite him to your life? And will you remember the chair that has opened up and he's moving out of the way to say, hey, you can sit here. You can have my seat. You can have my meal. And here, I'll even put the salt on there for you. May we remember that these next few minutes. Heavenly Father, God, so many times I look at the 12 and I'm like, which one am I? Definitely don't want to be Judas. So many times that's fine. So many times I fail and I run. Sometimes I stab you in the back. I trade you in for other things. We do that so many times around the holiday seasons. We lose focus of what it's all about. Friends and family, and even those that we despise, gathering at a table. Not just to celebrate the holidays, but God, just to celebrate the gifts you give us. All of us. We don't deserve that. We didn't deserve your son, but yet you gave him freely. So we can have a seat at the table. Let us remember this today and always. Amen.
God, that's our prayer today. With every breath we have in us, God, that we would praise you. That we would make your name known, God. Jesus, we welcome you in this place. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place, God. Would you come and move? Would you come and speak today? It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Have a seat. You know, as Bradley was talking about, we're we're entering into this, this season that... Every year we look forward to, and yet I know that every year there are some that actually move into this season with a little bit of trepidation, uh, whether it's because of uh, holiday seasons past that they know can't happen anymore because loved ones that are no longer around, or this year wasn't the year you thought it was going to be, and it made it tough. And what really makes this season tough, I think, is just the overall consumerism of our society. We live in such an incredibly, incredibly materialistic society that is, that is causing our world, causing our young people to grow up and to value things that maybe don't align with, with what God would say. These are the important things. These are the big ticket items. Now, some of the things that can kind of get us off target in and of themselves aren't bad. But we deal with this, this idea of if I could only be right there. If I could only have that thing. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to, to, to plan for big things. Take, I love taking big vacations. Uh, I, I love having nice things. But when those things have us, we've crossed into another realm, another dimension. And that's what happens a lot of times is that in that effort to, to be able to acquire those things, they really acquire us. But that is nowhere near what Jesus taught about. We ought to be distinctive. As Christians, we ought to be distinctive uh, about how we manage our money, about how we make our money, about how we spend our money, how we save our money. And here's this. We ought to be distinctive about how we give it away. Look look what Jesus had to say about this, kind of broadly about this issue. Look at these scriptures up here. Let's read them together, starting with the first one. These are straight from Jesus' mouth. Beware of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Then he said, freely you have received, freely give. Then he said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So today we're going to start a really short, but I think powerful three week series uh, that's talking about generosity. And it's called from Wall Street to your street. Now, what's Wall Street represent? In, in our world, in our country, Wall Street represents the wealth of our nation. I mean, it is like, it's all about, you know, dollars and cents and all that kind of stuff. But to say the very least about it right now would be, it's uncertain at the very least, right? Right now, okay, the numbers are really, really high and going high and to the right. But we know, we've experienced it sometimes. Some of us have gone through it two or three times where that, that one day that, that, that line is going high and to the right and the next day it's dropping to the right. 
And it can happen so quickly. It's so uncertain. So we're going to dig into a little bit of that. And I hope you understand, especially those you've been around a while, if you're new, you need to know, we don't talk a lot about money around here, especially not from a pressure perspective of giving or anything like that. We don't even pass offering plates anymore. We get offering boxes and trust people to give online or, or, or through the boxes. But I think it's important that occasionally we talk about what Jesus talked about more than any other subject. I think it's important that we dig into something that Jesus saw as important enough that he spoke so much about it. Now, when we talk about giving here, I, I got no idea what anybody gives. I don't want to know. I know what, I know what our family gives and that's it. That's not what it's all about. What I do know is this. The Bible makes all kinds of promises to those who choose to be generous with their time, with their talent, with their tithe, with their money. Look at some of the things that it says in God's word. Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 25 says, A generous man will prosper. He who refuses others will be himself, uh, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Then over in chapter 19 of Proverbs it says, He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. And he, the Lord, will reward him for what he has done. Then Paul, who we spent a lot of time, and we're going to spend a lot of time in his teaching here in 2 Corinthians, but to his young disciple Timothy, he wrote these words. They will lay up for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. It's important. It's important what we do and the plans we make and how we do what we, how we do what we do with what God has given us. Malachi chapter 3 says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw them the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Now the tithe is 10%. Let's just get that out of the way and let it be known that's what it is. It's a 10% of your gross, not your net, but it's about everything. It's not just money. It's, it, it's like God himself says, you give me a tithe of everything. Because in Jesus' time, he even talked about, they were tithing of like their um, their spices, you know. And those guys, he said, you just give me, give me 10% of everything that you're blessed with and see what I will do. He, he's got, God says, test me in this and see if I will not bless you and bless you and bless you. But it's so much more than just 10%. So much more than just tithing. Listen to it very carefully. This is, uh, if, I, if you don't get anything out of the next three weeks, get this, okay? Generosity, I believe with all of my heart, I think scripture backs it up. Generosity is one of the keys to a full and abundant life. Because if God promises, if God promises to bless the generous, how can we not be generous? How can we not talk about it? So here's what I want you to do. If you've got your Bibles with you, get them out, open up the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to be, in the next three weeks, we're going to do a chapter and a half. We're going to do all of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and the first half of chapter 9, okay? So this week is the first half of chapter 8, the first 15 verses. And really what I hope this does is, is fan the flames of generosity. I love, I love that already this Christmas season, I love that already as we're moving into the season, here's what's already happened. There's been over 300 bags of stuff that have been given and shipped to Guam. 
Guatemala for kids that may otherwise not have anything uh, as a gift at Christmas. I love that that's already happened. It's already gone. It's already on its way in a big shipping container. And, and Luke will be able to send us pictures of what happened with that. I love that there's already been hundreds of boxes that have been brought together, packed, excuse me, and are already on the truck and and more to finish and the truck will leave tomorrow with Operation Christmas Shot. I love that that's already happened. That's generous. That's being generous. I love that almost all, last week we put 75 angels on our angel tree out in the lobby and in the first day, uh, two-thirds of them were already gone. I don't even know. There's just a few still out there. I love the idea of generosity and it's spreading and I just pray that it'll spread and fan a flame of generosity throughout our whole community, not just our church. But I think it needs to start somewhere. And see, when we begin to understand that God owns everything, he loans us what we have, then it's not ours. He just asks us to use it wisely and give it freely. And when we do that, he pours out so much, so many blessings. And we get our brains around that, some great things are going to start to happen. Now, before we really dig into the text, let me just give a quick background a quick background that sets up this section of Paul's letter. He's writing, he's writing to the Christians in Corinth, which is a prominent city in Greece. Okay. And at times Paul had been there and actually visited Corinth at other times he wrote letters to them. All right. But in this section of second Corinthians, Paul talks about the collection that was being taken up for the Christians in Jerusalem. All right. So just, just pause there. Let that soak in a minute. Okay. The church at Corinth, the Corinthian Christians were taking up an offering for the church in Jerusalem. Okay. And see the new Testament, the new Testament church was born in Jerusalem. It's like the church in Jerusalem. It was like the, it was like the mother church. It was the day of Pentecost. It's where it all started. And, but now you've got, now you've got this group of believers that are, are believers because the gospel is spread out of it. And now they're doing something to help those who are back at the very epicenter of where it all started. I think that's a really cool concept of what's going on. And and so what I want to do today is just show you four ways that our lives are impacted by generosity based on this teaching that Paul gave us about these folks in uh, Corinth that were giving to the church at Jerusalem as had happened uh, in another place as well. So there in first in second Corinthians, excuse me, chapter eight, verses one through four. Here's how Paul starts this off. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Let me read verse 2 again because there are some things in verse 2 that just in the words themselves don't seem to make sense. Okay, It says, out of the most severe trial. Their overflowing joy, their extreme poverty. So you've got a trial and you've got poverty and it welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. Did you get all that? They pleaded. Can't imagine this. You know, I think especially because of, you know, like televangelists and some of that crazy stuff that we've seen, you know, everybody's kind of, 
stereotypic images, you know, some pastor preacher begging people to give and guilting people to give. And that's why we like bend over backwards not to do that and just to say, here's, here's opportunities and options. But can you imagine a setting when, when like a congregation or everybody that was around us said, Oh, come on, let's give. Come on, come, please, please let us give. Let us, please, we're begging you. Can we give to this situation? That's kind of what was going on. They pleaded for the privilege of giving. And Paul tells the Corinth Corinthian, Corinthian, uh, the Corinthian Christians, all right, get my C's to get, the Corinthian Christians about the Macedonian Christians who were helping the Jerusalem Christians and they couldn't afford to give, but they couldn't live with themselves if they didn't give. You've driven by that situation, maybe you're, you're going down the road and you see something and, and, and the, the immediate response in your spirit is, I need to stop and help. Whether it's just rolling down the window and giving something or, or getting out of the vehicle and actually doing something. And, and yet for whatever reason, you drive on by and it's like you, you, the farther you drive, the sicker you get, you know, cause there's just that, that, that thing inside of you saying, you, you need to do something. You, you need to do something to help. And that's what, that's what Paul is describing here. He goes on to tell about their amazing generosity, that God's grace and their generosity kind of went hand in hand. And it sounds like God gave them extra grace because of how they gave to others. Now, I think that's important. I think that is a blessing. That is a reward. But I want to stop here and say, we're not talking here about saving grace. All right. I don't want anybody to be confused and think somehow we can buy our grace. Paul's not saying they earn heaven because they gave money. It's by its very definition, grace is unmerited favor. There's nothing in return. It's a blessing that is unearned and undeserved. But he does say he poured out more blessings on them because of what they did for others. Tell me, parents, you know, we all, we love our kids, right? We, we, we love our kids, but isn't it, isn't it a lot easier to do extra special and to pour blessings out on them when they're kind of walking in stride with where you want them to walk? When, when, when they're like, you know, one of the first things that we try to teach children is uh, immediate obedience. You know, as soon as mom and dad ask or say something to respond to, well, when they do that, it's a lot easier to, to pour back blessings. And when, they, when they, when they do well in school and they're, they're polite and they're not defiant and, and when they're, <coughs> excuse me, helping out, it's, it's easier. It's easier. You don't love them anymore, right? You don't love them anymore when they're in, or I hope not anyway, when they're in that mode than when they're like not there. We'll just leave it that, that, all right? But it's easier to respond and to, to pour out blessings when they're walking in stride with us. And that's why I think what God's saying here is that you walk in stride with me and just, you, you're, you're not going to believe the things that are out there if you'll just walk in stride and we do this together, all right? So the first thing is that generosity invites a, God's grace at a different level, all right? The second thing is generosity offers expressions of joy. That way that came out in those, those first couple of verses. They're out of their most severe trial, their overflowing joy, their extreme poverty welled up in generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and then beyond their ability. They didn't give 
I don't think for one minute what Paul is saying is that they gave because of their trials. And, and they certainly didn't give because of their poverty. Those things could have easily been barriers to generosity, wouldn't you think? They could have easily been barriers, but in spite of the poverty, in spite of the trials, but because of their joy, they gave. It's like the kid who went to the mall and climbed up on Santa's lap and Santa asked, uh, he said, well, what do you want for Christmas? And the little boy said, I want two fire trucks and two remote car, remote control cars and two baseball gloves and two kickballs. And the, 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 the guy playing Santa kind of looked at him and said, man, that's, that's, why do you want two of everything? And, and the little boy looked at Santa and said, well, of course, so I can share. Now, that's a, you know, what looks like a selfish attitude was really a, 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 an attitude of generosity, of, of being willing to share. And sharing, sharing though, if you think about that story, sharing's pretty easy if you got two of everything. Sharing's pretty easy if you're living in abundance. But what about when things get tough? I want to read you a letter that I got this week from a family here in our church, and I've taken their actual names out of it and just used uh, uh, descriptive pronouns, but I just want you to listen to the last couple years of their life. Uh, the, the letters are, my husband and I have been tithing for years now. I had always struggled with tithing because I didn't trust God's promise to provide for our daily bread. Then in 2019, my husband got less than a cost of living raise. But I got a significant bump of about $10,000. Then on April 1st of the next year, 2020, my husband was laid off. He actually thought they were joking because it was April Fool's Day. But he was laid off and he remained unemployed until the end of October that year. So for about six months, there was zero of the breadwinner income coming into our house. Unemployment took forever to arrive due to all the massive layoffs. Uh, and Kentucky Employment Office being unprepared and overwhelmed uh, because of all the COVID stuff. I was able to support us financially on my income alone due to the fact of we had gotten debt free with the exception of our house. But we didn't even cancel our summer vacation, nor did we make any adjustments to our lifestyle because we didn't have any debt, and we never missed a mortgage payment. But here's the key. We never stopped tithing. And on top of that, we continued to support a small orphanage in Uganda. We even purchased a new to, uh, new to us uh, boat. We traveled to Colorado for our anniversary in the Pacific Northwest on a Christmas vacation. Looking back at 2020, we really don't know how we were able to do all the things without his income. But somehow we managed because God provided then when my husband finally started his new job in October of 2020, he increased his previous income by 60%. In the spring of 2021, I received another significant raise. And not only that, in September, he was told that he was receiving a 10% pay increase, but it was actually 13%. So between tw- 2019 and 20, our income dropped by well over $20,000. But due to God's blessing, our income in 2021 has more than doubled. The year isn't over yet. Neither of us are in sales. So this increase is not from bonuses or anything like that. It's simply God's way to allow us to fund his kingdom and to be the hands and feet of Jesus here on earth. We've gone, I love this line, we've gone from being afraid to tithe and giving with a fearful heart, not trusting in God's provision, to giving from a place 
and giving from a place of obligation to now giving to a place of joy. I recently had an opportunity to help a friend in need and joyfully sent funds. We had the opportunity to step up our giving in Uganda, purchase beds and bedding for six children in an orphanage. Uh, we joyfully sent funds because they'd never slept in a bed before. And God is blessing us again with an opportunity to purchase uh, vacation property that we can then rent out or even donate a week of vacation to raise funds for worthy causes or people in need. The possibilities are endless as God's plans for us as we trust him. Now, that's not made up. That's, that's somebody that goes to church with us. That's real life stuff of working through the struggles <clears throat> of trials and tribulations and still deciding to be generous. And, and it's a growth process. It's a growth process. Almost anything we do, our trust level grows the more that we do it. Our, our, our trust level grows the more that we do it. Remember the first time you went swimming? And, and you kind of probably eased into the water, or maybe you were thrown in by somebody else. But if that was the case, you panicked and trying to get back. But the more comfortable you got, the more you trusted that, the, you know, there are ways to swim and you're not going to drown, the more fun it got, right? The, the more enjoyable it got to experience that. But, but here's what I see happening a lot. And I've heard people tell me this. I've, I've had it in conversations over coffee, straight to my face. This conversation, maybe you've never said it because you were actually afraid to say it, but you thought this. I can't afford to be generous now. But I, when I have more, then I will be. You know what I've become convinced of over the years? No, you won't. No, you won't. Because until we learn to be generous with little, we'll definitely not be generous with a lot because we'll always be living in fear that it might be taken away. And until we realize that it's not ours in the first place. You see, joyful, generous giving doesn't come when we have extra. It's an attitude. It's a way of life. Third thing I want you to see here in this text, starting at the end of verse 3, is that generosity shows that we do trust the Lord. It says, on, entirely on their own, they urged, and they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. Did you catch that last part? They gave themselves first to the Lord. That's where it starts. First to the Lord. See, generosity reveals our relationship with Jesus. It, it reveals our, our trust in the Lord. When, when our hearts, when our hearts belong to Christ, we're not so likely to cling on, hold on to the stuff of this world. It, it, it's easier to turn loose of things that you really don't own anyway. When your heart's in the right place. Here, here is a, here's something that I think is a, a, a stingy Christian is a contradiction of terms. A, a, a stingy Christian, like jumbo shrimp, and they don't go together. Alright? It, 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 it's an oxymoron. It's a contradiction of terms. You remember, remember Jesus had friends. If you've read through the Gospels, you know Jesus had some friends during his time here on earth. And he had uh, Peter, James, and John of the disciples who were his closest. But he also had just some friends of the community. And remember, remember his friends, Lazarus and Lazarus and Mary and Martha? 
There's one day, it's recorded in John chapter 11, when Jesus goes to their house and Mary brings out this really expensive jar of perfume. The Bible says it's worth more than a year's wages. And, and she didn't, I, I love the way it says this because it, it, she didn't like open the jar or open the top of the jar and like pour some out or, or, or just stick her hand in and get some of the perfume or anything. It says she broke the jar. I mean, there's no going back. When you break the jar, there's no going back. And she poured the perfume on his head and feet. And we often skip right past that phrase, more than a year's wages. But I want you to think about that a minute, for a minute. Just you personally, you don't have to look at, what are your year's wages? Because whatever it is, it's, a year's, it's your year's wages, all right? It was her year's wages, and she just broke the jar. It it was probably the most precious thing that she owned or that she possessed or that she had thought that she possessed. And others criticized her for wasting such a valuable treasure. People do that, and they always say things like, it was like when, you know, Judas pulled this a lot of time. Well, you could have sold that and given it to the poor. What Judas was really after was, if you sell it and you give it, it's going to come into me, and then I've got my hands on it, I can do kind of whatever I want with it. All right? And they criticized her. And Jesus said this. He said, leave her alone. She's done a beautiful, beautiful thing. So here was a woman that was so overcome with love, so overwhelmed by devotion, so filled with gratitude that she didn't think twice about giving her most precious gift, possession, to the Lord. Paul continues, look back in our text at verse 6. He, we, so we urged Titus, since we had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, <coughs> excuse me, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, catch this, See that you also excel in this grace of giving. Did you catch that? Just as you excel in everything else, do really good at all these other things, but be sure to excel in the grace of giving. You know, we try, but we talk a lot about excellence and we try to, we try to do everything we do with excellence, not perfection, but excellence. Um, we talk a lot about serving and I'm convinced of this, that some people's greatest act of serving is their giving. And I'm talking right there about their financial giving. It's like they go over and above. And they go over and above and that's just, that's just something God puts on their heart and they do that. And it's, it's, it's excelling in the grace of giving. Now we, like I said, we don't do everything perfectly, but we try our best. Things from, from starting on time and having countdowns that say, okay, here's when service is going to start. Make sure the slides work. How do we do our music, the sermons, the lessons, printed materials? And, and we make mistakes. And, and, you know, inevitably it's like, Five minutes after I hit send, I see a typo that I didn't see the five times I proofread. And it drives me crazy. But we try to do everything as close to excellent as we can, but we understand we're not perfect. We make plenty of mistakes, but excellence is always the goal because God deserves our very, very best. So what did Paul say? You excel in everything else you try to do? Excel, excel in the grace of giving. 
One more thing here, and we'll be done, okay? It, it's, the, it's the fourth thing I want us to see about generosity. It starts in verse 8, and that is the generosity shows our love. It expresses our love. Verse 8, Paul says, I, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that that you through his poverty might be rich. Now, let's stop right there for just a second. Understand. You got to understand this, okay? Those verses, in fact, everything we've read, but these verses are written to believers, okay? They're written to people who have acknowledged their belief in Jesus Christ. They, they've got the bumper sticker. They got the changed t-shirt. You know, they, they are in, okay? They're in, all right? And he said, so you guys know this. You guys know this. And so because you know this, remember that yet for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might be rich. Jesus had everything. He gave up everything so that you and I could receive everything. Now, let me say that again because I think that's important. Jesus had everything and he gave up everything so that you and I could receive everything. He showed his love and his generosity, and we're called to live like that. It's all about building community and reaching people for Jesus. This week, I was reminded of this this word in the Bible. I think it's the, it's the coolest word if you get this mindset around it, because in and of itself, it's not really a it's not really a spiritual word. Uh, it's a it is one of those words. You know, there are those spiritual words that we never use in context anywhere other than in like religious settings. But there's a word that could be used all the time. But in this in the spiritual setting, in the biblical setting, it's a really cool thing. It's the word meanwhile. It's the word meanwhile. It's like when, when you don't know what God's doing, like just when you can't see him, he's still working. Meanwhile, he's still working. Meanwhile, he's still doing things. Here's what, here's that look at the context. In Acts chapter 9, and you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it. Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it says, meanwhile, that's how it starts, all right? Meanwhile, Paul or Saul was uttering threats with every breath, but meanwhile, God was moving to build the church. This guy named Saul is, trying to, is out trying to, to collect Christians in the group settings and herd them together and arrest them and kill them. But meanwhile, God was working. And then Paul, Saul has this experience and becomes a believer himself and, and spends time then listening and learning and beginning to preach. But meanwhile, Peter was continuing to preach. And guess where Peter was preaching now that Saul, Paul was on board. Now Peter's starting to preach to, oh my goodness, to Gentiles. He's starting to spread this gospel thing. It's going to get outside of its small network. Meanwhile, things are happening. Then in Luke chapter 21, in Luke chapter 21, while Jesus is still here, it says in verse 1 of Luke 21, Meanwhile, Jesus was in the temple and he wants the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. They're coming up, dropping bags of money, ching, 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 making a show of what they're doing. And then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. Jesus said to the disciples, do you guys see that? I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them. 
For they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything that she has. She wasn't giving out of her abundance. She was giving out of her love. You see, here's a principle you got to understand. You can give without loving. People do it all the time. You can, this time of year, a lot of people do a lot of giving without any real loving. Really, a lot of people do a lot of giving this time of year just to what? Write it off on their taxes. That's just being real. Not really a love gift. It's like a help me out gift. All right? You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Maybe it's not financial. But if you truly love someone, if you truly love a situation, you're going to give of what you have to. It, it, It won't work any other way. And the more you trust in Jesus, the easier it is to let go of everything else. Let me read these last three verses in this this section, starting with verse 13. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed or suffering, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. For as it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. It's a give and take venture. So what we see is that generosity invites God's grace. It offers or shows an expression of joy. It shows how much we trust the Lord, and it improves our love for him. Because the more you trust in Jesus the easier it is to let go of everything else. Probably a lot of you saw the movie Schindler's List when it came out in 1994. Probably a lot of you struggled watching through the movie, you know, for many reasons at many different times. And you probably felt your emotions kind of bounce to and fro through that. It's a true story of a guy named Oscar Schindler, a German businessman who made a fortune, fortune during World War II by running Jewish-operated businesses. His sole interest in the beginning was to make money. That was it. It was all about making money. However, once he realized the complete wickedness, evilness of the Nazis, and the danger his Jewish workers were in, he spent his fortune to save them. He bribed Nazi officials to allow him to keep workers in the factory instead of sending them off to Auschwitz. And and as his Jewish accountant poured over Schindler's business records and the long list of Jewish workers, he suddenly stares in disbelief. It's a a poignant part in the movie. And he looks and says, how did you convince the Nazis to let all these workers stay here? You bribed them, didn't you? You bought these people. And he looked at the list in his hand and said, it's not a list, it's a life. I want you to watch a clip from toward the end of this movie. Watch how this movie ends. Schindler is saying goodbye to Jewish workers and he's overwhelmed on all that's happened and wishes that he might have been able to do more. Watch this.
Out of all those, those are 1,100 people, many of which are the very ones that, that were saved because of his generosity. I could have done more. My car is worth 10 people. The, my lapel pins were worth two people. I could have done more. The truth is, guys, we, we, we could all do more. And we can all look back with regret, but that's, I don't think that's really the point. Looking back and asking what might have been, The point today is, what am I doing right now? How generous am I right now? Guys, the more you trust in Jesus, the easier it is to let go. But to be able to do that, there's got to be room. There's got to be margin in your life for caring about other people. Let's just do decision time this way again. Let's not stand. Let's just sit and sing. But if you need to talk to someone, Jason will be down the front. You could come down here. But I just think there's just times that we just need to bring the lights down and let God speak to our hearts. So let's do that right now.
now This is my surrender This is my surrender And here is where I lay it down You are all I'm chasing now This is my surrender This is my surrender Father God Our prayer is that you would help us To be generous Even in times of uncertainty Let it start now In Jesus name Amen We're really glad you guys are here today. If this is your first time with us, so you're our honored guest. We're so glad you took the time to come. Uh, Out in the lobby, there's a big orange wall with white letters that says, I'm new. And uh, we'd invite you to stop by there. We've got a gift for you out there. Uh, If you... uh, if you haven't signed up yet, but you like ringing the bell or would like to ring the bell for an hour uh, this coming Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, we've got nine spots left. And the sign-up sheets are right back there by the sign-up wall in the back corner of this room. You can stop by there and uh, and just sign up, and we need to fill those up today. Uh, if you'd like to get an angel, there's some more of them out in the lobby. Hey, we did something special last week at our Thanksgiving dinner uh, and our night of worship, and we, we created a thankful tree that is actually back in that corner over there and all it is is just a a big tree and you provide the leaves and all you do is get a leaf and on the back of the leaf just write something that you're thankful for right now something that this season you're thankful for and so there are a bunch of blank leaves and sharpies over in that corner get one and just write it out leave it on the table and in between services i'm going to come and just staple gun and we're just going to fill up that tree uh, during the next uh, couple of weeks as we go in to this season and then get ready for our christmas season and with that in mind uh, we would like you to invite people encourage people to all of our many different uh, christmas services there'll be three on Christmas Eve, three on Christmas Sunday, and uh, we have a website, christmas at scc.org, and just like we did with Easter, these bumper stickers are made so that you can peel them off, put them on, and then they peel right off your window or your car. They are not the kind that like stick forever, so you're not stuck with this no pun intended, forever, okay? Uh, but they are out on the table in the lobby. Get some of these, stick them on your car so people can see. If they go to this website, they'll see all things Christmas at Shelby Christian Church, and we can kind of advertise and, and point people in that direction. Thanks for being here today. Let's go make a difference. Love God, love people. Let's go change the world. See you guys.